very, very steep. And one of the things that um, they did was they ended up interviewing pastors who had left the pastorate, and they had begun to have church and gatherings around little unconventional ways like having around a garden, like gardening, having church around gardening, church around yoga, church around some other activity, community activity, or some other preferential ideal that they wanted to be, be doing. They wanted to do something that was fresh and, and new and novel. The problem was is that the Bible was not featuring prominently. It was the activity that was beginning to feature prominently. And those of us who were in evangelical world like we are, we tend to look at that and hear something like that and just shake our head and roll our eyes. And I'm thankful for a gentleman by the name of Tim Challies, who's a writer out of Canada, a minister out of Canada. And he reminded us that we all operate on personal preferences. He said this, he said, we may roll our eyes at such people and consider ourselves superior to them, but isn't it possible that we can relate to church in a similar way? Isn't it possible that we can join and depart churches on the basis of a preference more than on the basis of God's revelation of what a church is and ought to be? Aren't we all tempted at times to leave a faithful church for an exciting one? A church that does things God's way for one that does things in a fresh and novel way? Isn't every leader tempted, and then he gets to me now, right? Isn't every leader tempted at times to change the way he does church, not because he has come to realize it's unfaithful to Scripture, but because it's no, it no longer seems to engage the people around him? And you're saying, Pastor Matt, are you, have you ever been tempted like that? Absolutely. Because that's the gauge, right? The gauge and the metric is how many people are coming. When the, when the gauge should be, are we being faithful to what God calls us to? Because sometimes you can pull back on what the word is saying and the harshness of what the word is saying to get more people in, but then you're going to have to answer for that. And some people, we have to realize, are offended by the word. Even as I preach through the Bible over and over, Christians and non-Christians alike can tend, can, can tend to be offended by something that is being said, and they don't like it, so they begin to find another thing. It's a consumer mentality that we've come about. You know, we don't go to this restaurant because they undercook the fish. We don't go to this restaurant because they overcook the meat. We don't go to this restaurant because the music's too loud or too soft or the waitresses are this or that. I mean, we have so many expectations. And it's funny, every so often people write us an email asking us about a church. And they say, this is what I expect out of a church. And sometimes it's out of the Bible and sometimes it's a personal preference. I can list off a few. Sometimes people... Um, List off preferences about music. Some want older music. Some want newer music. Some want acoustic. Some want a band. Some want authentic. Some want strobe lights and smoke machines. Um, demographics. Some people want a church that looks like them. Some people want a church that doesn't look like them. Some people want a church that's older. Some people want a church that's younger. Some people want a church that has pews. Some people want a church that has chairs. And these are the, these are the, 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 these are the things. Service times, 10.30. No, that cuts in the middle of my day. No, I want a, I want a church that's earlier. I want a church, church service that's later. I want a church service on Saturday night. I want this, I want that. You see? And we have these lists. Um, I don't feel connected. Well, I would suggest that you get here early. Don't be the last one to come in and the first one to leave. Because if that's the case, you're not going to feel connected. But you are part of that connection as well. 
not just somebody else. Uh, The preacher. The preacher is too young. The preacher is too old. The preacher preaches too much out of the Bible. The preacher doesn't preach out of the Bible enough. The preacher doesn't preach after this. The preacher doesn't go after that. The preacher's head is blinding me. The preacher is too short. Someone was joking about that not too long ago, and I said, if somebody else says that again, I'm just going to say off stage, make up, so we can make sure. Some people don't like church every week. Some people like church every so often. Some people think it's, it's too much to go every week now. Do you see what can happen? On and on and on it goes. And the devil is doing an admirable job at his job when you look at it on how he gets us to think about things personally. Jesus is our personal Savior. And therefore, when we hear people say Jesus is our personal Savior, by the way, that verbiage is not used in the New Testament. Jesus saves us to a community. He saves us to a kingdom. He saves us to a family. He saves us to where we're going to grow together. And it's amazing all of the different backgrounds and all the different experiences that all of you have, all of the different ages that are represented here, we can come together and worship one Jesus. And it's not based upon culture. It's not based upon your background. It's not based upon your political affiliation. It's not based upon your pigmentation. It's not based upon any of those things. It's based upon Jesus who came to save a people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. As we get to this passage of Scripture, we preachers tend to lock in on verses 24 and 25, don't we? I'm glad you're checking to see what I'm talking about. That's good. Don't just take my word for it. Look at it. Where it said, you know, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Not to give away the store too much. I'll I'll, I'll address this a little bit later. I feel like I need to share it now. You all being here is an encouragement to me. You all being here is an encouragement to each other. When you're not here, it's not as good. I know COVID drove this particular phrase out. We're all better together. We're all in this together. We are saying that first. Don't let the COVID issue (laughs) run that out of here because we did a leadership retreat based upon that. We are better together. And it pains me. I'll say it up front. It pains me when there's those who used to come that don't come anymore. Or don't come as often anymore. That's hard. Because when you start serving Jesus together, and then now all of a sudden you're not serving Jesus together, there's a void. And Christ is sufficient. He fills it all in. But to see that happen, I think is to miss a significant part. Because we have so preached for so long that Jesus wants to be your personal Savior, that we think everything about our Christian life is personal. And it's not. We are part of a family. We're part of a community. And how did that happen? Growing together. How does this start? Well, let's go to this first one. My goal is to just go through these first couple ones quickly, but you know you know me. You know how that goes. But the first part about it is talking about how we need to draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. So this passage has two senses, S-I-N-C-E, and three lettuces. 
So before we get to the lettuce patch, let's make sure we get to the first two senses. And the first two senses are this, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since, number one, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. That wasn't always the case. In fact, what happened before was the only way that anybody at all in the Old Testament could enter the holy place by the blood of anything was the high priest on the day of atonement once a year when he had that lamb that he sacrificed for the outward sins of the people of Israel. It didn't take care of the heart. And so therefore, nobody had confidence to enter into the, in, into the holy places, not even the high priest at, all the time. He had to make sure that everything was in place and he was prepared. And it talks about that since we have confidence to enter the holy places, not by the blood of any old lamb that would have to be repeated, but by the blood of the lamb of Jesus, the, he, he is the lamb of God, once and for all. There were so many sacrifices that would be made on those high feasts that the blood of all of those sacrifices would roll down the steps like a river. But that was to show the grotesqueness and the disgusting nature of our sin. It's not just an oops or a mistake. This is high treason and rebellion against a holy God. And this is what had to happen in order for just the outward sins to take place and to be forgiven. But it says we have confidence by a new and living way, verse 20, that he opened for us through the curtain that is... Through his flesh. Curtain? What are we decorating now? What are we talking about this curtain? Well, there was this thick curtain, 60 feet high, 4 inches thick, that separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple. And when Jesus said, it is finished, it says in Luke that the temple veil was torn in two. Torn in two like you're ripping a piece of paper. But it wasn't a piece of paper. This was a thick curtain. But it showed that not only could we go into the presence of God when we are right with him by the blood of Jesus, but the presence of God could come to us. We take that for granted. The Jews did not. That was unfathomable for that to be able to happen. But, but this is what's going on, is that at one time Jesus died in order for us to be right with him, temple veil torn in two, but then there's this ongoing since, when it says in verse 21, and since... We have a great high priest over the house of God. High priests mediate. Jesus was not only the sacrifice, he offered the sacrifice. They mediate. They intercede. And this is what Jesus is doing for us right now. You think, well, nobody's praying for me. Not so. The Son of God, our great high priest, is praying for you all the time. When he said he'd never leave us or forsake us, that's what he's talking about. He knows what's going on with you. He's praying for you, bringing you into his presence. And so since we have those things in place, now we get to the first lettuce here. Let us draw near how? Any old way? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, it says later in the Hebrews. We have turned God into Santa Claus. We've turned God and to, if you listen to some of these songs that are on some of the Christian radio stations, that like Jesus is like your boyfriend. You could take the name of Jesus and replace it with whoever you're dating, and it would, it would, it would, it would fit. And we've got to be real careful the way we present that. We have to enter into his presence. How? Well, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water so this is priestly language 
When the priests would offer the sacrifices, they would dip the, the, the thing in, the, in the, the, the hyssop into the blood, and they would sprinkle the altar and the, and the seat of mercy to be clean. They would, the water was a representation of the, of the cleanness from sin. And over and over we see from Scripture about what God wants to do in making us clean. But we see in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. From all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit that I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That heart of flesh is sensitive to the movement of God. Though that heart of stone isn't. And when you see that happening, you see that when God gives you that, gives you that heart of flesh that's sensitive to the Spirit's moving, your life will never ever be the same. Thank, literally, thank God. Thank God our hearts are never, are not just about us anymore. It's not about what we want. It's about what He wants. Spurgeon one time, he said, a person who is really saved by grace does not need to be told that he is under solemn obligations to serve Christ. The new life within him tells him that instead of regarding it as a burden. You ever think about obeying God? I got to do that. I have to do that. Instead of regarding it as a burden, he gladly surrenders himself, body, soul, and spirit to the Lord. It's not a have to. It's a get to. I get to serve Jesus. We get to serve Jesus together. I've started signing my, my, my notes like that to some of you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we get to serve Jesus together. And I hope that that's just something, uh, just a seed that's planted. That's just what we're about. We're serving Jesus in all that we do. So let us draw near, true heart, assurance, confidence. We can do it because of what he's done. The second part is that we hold fast in our hearts. That's number two. Hold fast what? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The word hope is a stumbling block to maybe some of you. Because you use the word the way we often use the word. We just had Christmas. I hope I get this for Christmas. I hope that my sick relative gets better, but I don't know. It's a desire that's coupled with uncertainty. That's the way we normally use the word hope, a desire coupled with uncertainty. The hope that's mentioned in Scripture is a desire that is coupled with a certainty because it's a hope that Christ has accomplished for us. Hebrews 3, 6 talks about, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and, have, and, and are boasting in our hope. Hebrews 6.11, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and to have full assurance of hope until the end. Hebrews 7.18 and 19, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. When I came to Christ, and I would say when you came to Christ, there was an outward confession that you made. That confession could be summed up in three words. Jesus is Lord. You're no longer in control of your life. Jesus is now Lord of your life. He's in charge. We're all in. He's in control. Now, I think some of you may have missed that because you thought that the purpose of your outward confession was, I get to go to heaven. 
And there's a difference between I get to go to heaven and Jesus being Lord. Because if you've made a decision, you think the decision's about going to heaven, then Jesus is not necessarily your Lord. You can do whatever you want now because I'm going to heaven. But you're going to heaven because Jesus is now Lord. You have acknowledged what has already happened. He's already Lord. You don't make him Lord. You acknowledge what's already there. He is Lord. And so when we look at this passage, we, the outward confession must come from an inner transformation. This is what has happened. We must be careful not to read this wrong and have faith in our faith. Have any of you where you've had one day where your faith feels just sky high and then the next day you're like, I really blew it and your faith just bottoms out? And you think that God doesn't love you anymore and that he's not on the throne anymore and he's not Lord of your life anymore. Well, what you may be falling into is the fact that you are, you know, let us, let us um, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. It's not your faith that you, that you hold on to. It is the object of your faith that you hold on to. And you are confessing that Jesus is Lord. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does it say? You will be saved. It's, a, it's an outward confession of an inward transformation that Jesus has done. And I think some of us in church world, we've gotten so used to hearing that, it's lost, as they, as they said back home, lost its shine. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? And so the confession that we have, and we do it where it says without wavering, unbent, unyielding, resolute. We hold on. We hold on to it on our Instagram accounts. We hold on to it in social media. We hold on to it in traffic. We hold on to it in business. We hold on to it in school. We don't, we aren't just Christians here and then just be a chameleon and act like everybody else elsewhere. We need to be able to drop in and see Christianity and Christ wherever you may be. R.C. Sproul says we are secure not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. Aren't you glad for that? If your salvation was depending on how hard you were holding on to him, would any of us be saved? No. Our fingers are slippery. His aren't. He's got a lot of traction when he holds on to us. No one can get him out of our out of his hand get us out of his hand now here's the last part stir up each other and here's the part that i want to make sure that we hear and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works let me stop there let us consider now when joseph was getting the news from mary that she was with child, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he was considering these things, he was thinking about what he was doing. The Lord shows up and then he begins to realize what the truth was and he operated from there. Consider. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that it's not just the members and guest services job to consider and strategize how to help each other move forward. It's not just my job. All of us who are followers of Jesus and members of Arapahoe Road Baptist Church have no excuse of sitting back and saying, well, I'm ready for someone to do something for me. And if you're not going to do it the way I want, then I'm out. 
And I say this with all the mercy and grace that I can muster. Shame on you if that's the way you're feeling. You may think you're following the Bible, but you're not. You're following your own preferences. If those preferences are not listed in Scripture. If they're listed in Scripture, let's have a conversation. But it says, we got to consider, we've got to be, all of us, strategizing how we can help each other and build each other up to love and good works. It's not just a few people's jobs. It's all of our jobs. That's our assignment. How can we help build each other up to love and good works? You know what, and you know where he goes? He says, not neglecting to meet together. You know how hard it is to stir up somebody when you're absent? You can send an email, you can send a text, and we know how that goes. Really? Okay, delete, done. That word stir up is actually the same word. Some of you may know this passage in Acts where it's talking about um, where Barnabas and Paul, they were on mission together. Barnabas, son of encouragement, wants to take Mark along. Mark missed the smell of mom's apple pie, decided to go home on the first round. But then he had reformed, he'd repented, and he wanted to come back along. Barnabas said, let's bring him along. And Paul's like, he let me down once. I I don't want to take the chance again. And it says there arose a sharp disagreement. That's the same word that's used here with the word stir up. Now, he's not saying that somebody needs to come in and make everybody argue, although I think some people got that memo somewhere. We want to make sure that that's not the case. We're building up. We're unifying in the truth. We're not tearing down and dividing. And so when we look at this, it's basically a prodding, a provoking, a, a, an unsettling, an agitation. You know, remember the, 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 I've said this before about the washers where they had the agitator in the middle? That's what we're supposed to be doing, but in a good way. We're prodding and poking. Hey, let's do the right thing. Let's serve Jesus together. Let's make sure we're giving to his cause. Let's make sure we're telling others about Jesus. How's that been for you? It's keeping one another accountable. And you can't do that if you're not together. And so, not neglecting to meet together. That is a basic discipleship maneuver. Come to church. Yeah, but I am the church. We're called to be the church. No, we're called to... Be the church that meets together. We've chosen the Lord's day because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. And that's when we meet. And so when you look at this, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Again, you being here, my encouragement level through the roof. Because you're here. Now, I don't know why you're here. I don't know what's going on in you. I'm not going to assume that all of you are followers of Jesus. I'm not going to assume that every every one of you has it together. I think we're all works in progress. But here we are, and we're under the word, and we're with each other. And what we're called to do is to encourage one another. It's really easy to point out the faults. It's really easy. Um, and, And some of you may have grown up in that environment where there was a whole lot of teasing and the teasing wouldn't be, you know, little puns and such, little wordplay and all that. Somebody would find a weakness in you, and they were just kidding, but they would tease you, and they would needle you, 
and it would make them feel better. And you'd laugh it off. And here we, but, but then you walk home and you're like, well, I know that most jokes are half true. Hmm. I wonder if there's something to what they were saying. And those jokes and those, that, that type of needling can get you down and get you really insecure, even about who God has, what God has for you and how God made you to be based on his word. So the encouraging of one another. Some recent research suggests that even the most committed Christians, this is from Don Whitney. I should let you know it's not from me, it's Don Whitney. It's good to give credit where credit's due. But some research suggests that even the most committed Christians will attend church on an average of two times per month. Roughly 50% of the time. It is absolutely impossible. And I'm quoting him because I agree with this. I've seen this borne out in 30 years of ministry. It is absolutely impossible to create a culture of holistic disciples if they come to church 26 times a year. The fastest way to disrupt the journey of deep discipleship is to forsake regularly gathering together with the church. That's actually J.T. English from a book called Deep Discipleship. The fastest way to disrupt the journey of deep discipleship is to forsake regularly gathering together with the church. Yeah, but I don't like the preaching. I don't like the music. It's too hot in here. It's too cold in here. The pews are too soft. The pews are too hard. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And man, the devil is really good at his job. To be able just to work in there excuse after excuse after excuse that breeds a grumpiness and a bitterness and a gossipy attitude. And that's where we have to really be careful. What God has called us to do is something far different. Encouraging one another. You know what, what's, what's the root word of the word encourage? This is not hard. Courage. I'm an English major, actually, no, not at all. But courage. So courage, when you encourage someone, man, I'm so glad to see you. Boy, thank you for that note you sent me. Boy, thank you for always having a smile on your face. If you walk up to someone and say, thank you for always having a smile on your face, they're not going to start frowning. You know what's going to happen? Their face is going to break because they're going to be smiling even more. Thank you for singing that song. Thank you for keeping the church clean. Thank you for, you know, whatever it is, don't ever take anything for granted. If you see something good that's going on and helping people, man, you, you let them know. Because I know for a fact that not all of us grew up in an encouraging background. So instead of us saying, well, I didn't grow up in an encouraging background, I'm not going to, how about let's break that? Let's break that generational sin and start it new. Let's get on it. Because there's the day that's drawing near. Let me ask you this when you think about Judgment Day, when you think about Judgment Day, is that a happy day for you or is that a day that concerns you? Or maybe a little bit of both. Probably a little bit of both. It's tough to stand in the presence of a holy God. Because when you see holiness and you realize you're not that, you realize all the times it shines that light on all the times that you've rebelled, all the times that you had that stray word, that stray thought, those stray actions, and you're like, oh my goodness, what have I done? But when you see Judgment Day, I want you to also see the cross if you're a Christian, see the cross because that judgment was taken on your behalf. I want you to see the empty tomb because the 
wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? Because he's alive. And if we're in Christ, we live as well. Because our sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. This is what I need you to do. All of you know people that used to come. I I, I want you in love to reach out to them. I want you in love to tell them that we love you, we miss you, and it's better serving Jesus when you're here. Because it's true. Now, granted, not everybody walks in with the best attitude. But the Lord changed my attitude 30 years ago, and if he can change my bad attitude, he can change yours. Begin to reach out to those because COVID wiped out a lot of folks that used to come that don't come anymore. And you know, and all of you, I bet you right now, all of you can think of about three or four or five people that used to come that don't come anymore. You be the catalyst. Don't wait for them. You be the catalyst. You go and encourage them. You go and stir them up to love and good works. You make sure that ARBC stays on the radar. You make sure that the kingdom of God, that the cross of Jesus and the, and the empty tomb stays on their radar. He's not called us just to be the church and float. He's called us to gather together to stir up one another to love and good works, to encourage one another because the day is getting closer all the time. And some of you, you're really into end times. It's the last thing I'll say. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. But some of you are really into end times. I think it's getting close. I think it's getting close. Well, what are you doing? If it's getting close, shouldn't that raise your urgency? Shouldn't that raise mine? Or are you just going to sit back and say, Lord, whenever you're ready, and not say anything to anybody and not engage with anybody that I found out on my own? Actually, no, you didn't. Because, you know, we all think about, I'm a Lone Ranger Christian. I'm a Lone Ranger Christian. Was the Lone Ranger alone? Those of you that may remember way back the Lone Ranger. Yeah. He had, he had Tonto. He had Silver. He had other people helping him in the town. Not even the Lone Ranger was alone. It's a bad name. If the Lone Ranger is not alone, we can't do it by ourselves. We shouldn't do it by ourselves. And so we've got to make sure that we watch our attitudes and our mindsets and how we operate to make sure we're not pushing everybody away, even as we think we're serving Jesus, but we're pushing everybody away because of our own spiritual superiority. Let's grow together. Let's, let's, and let's bring as many people along as we possibly can to get them under the gospel, to love them, to stir them up, to encourage one another, rather than sitting here saying, you figure it out. No, 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 no. We're all in. How about you? Are you all in? Think about those people that don't come anymore. Think about people that need to come. And over the next week, over the next two, reach out to them. Send them a note. Write them a text. Show up on their door. What's the worst they're going to do to you? Reject you? Maybe. But you have an assignment. I have an assignment. Let's get to it. What do you say?
Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for helping us to realize where we are as, as followers of Jesus, that we can't do this by ourselves. Thank you for, for vertically changing our hearts, for personally changing our hearts, but horizontally, Lord, we know we get so worried about hurting somebody's feelings or, or intruding that we use that as an excuse for disobedience. No more. No more, Lord. You've called us to an assignment. You've saved us as Christians out of this darkness into your marvelous light. We don't do what you've called us to do in this passage because we are superior. We hold on to the confession of our faith because you who promised are faithful. We're all in, Lord. We're all in. Help us, Lord, to have the words to say, to know what to say, to fight through the fear. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of self-discipline, self-control. And I pray, Father, that as we continue in in what you've called us to do and to be, we're reminded by this invitation hymn. It's the old King James, I am thine, O Lord. I am yours. I am yours, O Lord. I've heard your voice, and I'm moving. Help us, Lord. Help us in all that we do and say. Lord, there may be some who are not followers of Jesus here that have been overhearing what we Christians need to be doing. I thank you, Lord, that you brought them here, and I pray that as we look at what you've called us to be, that those who are overhearing this would say, this is a Jesus that loves us. This is a Jesus that's not going to leave me alone. He's given me a community of people. If I trust in him, he's given me a community of people that are going to love me as well. Oh, bless your name, Father. Thank you for taking care of us, providing for us, loving us, not leaving us alone, rescuing us from our sin and our brokenness. You are a great and mighty, mighty God. Help us in all that we do and say, And may we sing this hymn that we're getting ready to sing with full conviction. I am yours, O Lord. I am thine, O Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's do business with the Lord this morning as we stand.